Good morning, everyone, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Will you please stand with us as we enter into worship?
please take a moment to greet those around you. And youth, you are dismissed to go with Ryan. Good morning, church. Welcome to La Jolla Community. We are, oh, I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Bridget Riley, a church member here. And we are an intergenerational family that loves to gather together every week to praise our God and King. And if you are new here, we would be happy to send you information about the things that go on each week. So please feel free to take a moment and fill out the information card in the front of your bulletin. Also, if you need a prayer for anything, we have a prayer team that prays for you throughout each week. And we also love to receive praise reports. So if you'd like to put that in the bulletin, um, there will be ushers coming by during the offering, and you can go ahead and place that in the basket. So a couple quick announcements. We have the women's tea coming up on March 7th, and we'll be starting sign-ups for that today out on the chatio. So if you'd like to invite a friend and come uh, be blessed, um, please go ahead and sign up quickly because uh, all of our women's ministry uh, events are super popular and they fill up quickly. So we uh, have this year's um, theme is Bloom Where You Are Planted. And we'll be offering uh, drinks and light snacks for that. And if you'd like more information, please contact Barbara online at barbara at ljcc.org. We also have our Valentine bake sale next weekend. So everybody, if you could bake something and bring it, we would love to sell that back to you to support the homeless ministry. <laughs> and uh, after each service. So please bring something, and if you'd like uh, more information about that, go ahead and contact Janet at ljcc.org. And I'll turn it over to Ryan for prayer. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to join us in the offering. Uh, for those of you that are new here, please don't feel obligated to give. This is our time as a congregation just to give back to the Lord for all the blessings that he has poured out for us this week. Um, if, and, and please, as a member of this congregation, please just feel, feel free to give as you are led. Let us pray. Dear God, I thank you that you, you meet us where we are, that you show up in our lives daily as we seek you, Lord Jesus. God, we pray that you would impress upon our hearts someone in need, God. You would impress upon us someone that needs to hear you, that needs to hear your love. God, we thank you for the glorious and amazing things that you have poured out for us. We pray that starting today, God, we would be a people that pours that back. We would be a people that wants to see your kingdom come on this earth. Lord, I pray that you would start that change. That we would be a people that starts here in this church and spreads out to the world. God, I pray that you would bless this offering. 
that anyone in need on this Super Bowl Sunday, Lord Jesus, wouldn't be alone. That we as a church would be a a life-giving place to pour out to you. We thank you for your glorious and abundant blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Sweet the sound that sings.
Uh, you can be seated. Uh, We're so glad you are here. And um, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open it up to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2. Uh, otherwise, we'll have it up on the screen here. But I always love seeing people with their Bibles open. And uh, that way you know, if you're like me, uh, maybe you're sometimes bad with references, but you know it's like, well, if I flip 10 pages this way, it's right here. So I always love having the handwritten Word of God in front of me because it's so much easier than trying to scroll on your iPad to figure it out. But we're going to be in the book of Ephesians today, and we're starting a brand new series this morning uh, asking the question, why does faith matter? Uh, and answering that in a few different ways of sin and salvation. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, grace, and that is God's beautiful gift. And so uh, when we speak of grace, uh, there's a few different ways that we can view grace. Uh, one, uh, grace is uh, when I'm at the park yesterday, and I've got my son over here playing in the dirt, my daughter over here where I think she is playing in the dirt, but is really up on the playground, uh, about ready to step off a platform six feet down into cement. I jump in dad panic mode, grab the closest thing I can find, which I didn't see there was another bar above me. I jump with all of my might, smack my head right into the bar, and Grace is my wife not laughing at me and having the uh, ability to come and make sure I didn't black out, and I'm pretty sure it is 1983 today. So, uh, excuse the distraction, there ain't nothing I can do about it. God did not grace me with a good head of hair. So, we're going to get into this, but uh, I figure it's always good to just uh, address the elephant on my head and uh, deal with that. So, we're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Before we do that, I just want to open up again in a word of prayer. Uh, I've said this probably the past couple of times I've been up here, but the joy when we come to church is, yes, the fellowship and and Scripture reminds us, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that we come into church and we spend time with one another in community because Jesus didn't go to the cross to die and set the church up to be this isolated individual thing. He really created this church to be something where we as brothers and sisters in the Lord go and we find strength with each other, right? We find encouragement with each other. We see someone that maybe is walking in sin and we say, hey, I love you too much to let you go down here. Let me help you. Or when somebody stumbles and falls, we say, I want to pick you up and I want to help you. Accountability, joy, fellowship, encouragement, strength. But more importantly, we come to church to study the precious word of God, which he has given to us, as 2 Timothy says, for direction, for instruction, for training, for rebuke, for righteousness. So when we come to the scriptures, my heart every time that we do this, and I sit in my office before I come down here and I just pray, God, uh, while I've put some words on paper because I want to have a, a, a roadmap of where I want you want to go, I want you to have the freedom to hold my tongue or to say uh, what you want me to do. And so, uh, but at the same time, maybe there's just something right now that while worship kind of leads us into that throne room, there may be that one last thing where you just say, you know what, this is a distraction to me right now. God, we're about to talk through your words. These, this is the breath of God breathed out on paper for you and I to know what he has done for us, how he loves us, and how we love him back. Then let's not just approach this with this, oh, I've read this passage before, oh yeah, I know about it, and go on about our day. But in a new and fresh way, may God speak to us, but may we first just come before him and say, God, there's something in my life right now uh, that maybe I just need to cast you. And if not, maybe it's just a time just to narrow our focus in 
as we approach the word of God. So that was a long introduction, but hopefully you kind of get where I'm going with that. So let's just uh, bow our heads in prayer one more time, probably twice more. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come uh, to the Bible. Uh, what you have used these human authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen for us in what we need to know pertaining to life in godliness, how we grow in wisdom and knowledge, uh, how much you love us, how much you care for us, what you did from eternity past to redeem us, to justify us, to call us to you, but also, Father, uh, giving us direction and insight and a compass and a map and all the things that we need on how to live lives of godliness that please you. So this morning, would you uh, be in the midst of what we're going to say, what we're going to speak, what we're going to do? Father, I pray no matter how we've come in, whether that be a distracted, maybe discouraged Father, maybe we've just had a great week and there's just something that you want to speak to us in every scenario, in every case. Father, we know that the word of God will never return null and void. So would you uh, say your words and reach into the lives of everyone in this room, including myself as well, Father, and just speak to us that we be encouraged, strengthened in our faith, uh, and take action steps as we live here on, on, leave here and what we do uh, with what we have studied and heard and learned. Uh, this morning. And we do this as this topic is so uh, beautifully going to unpack for us. We do this and we have the ability to do this because of your grace towards us. So we say thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Ephesians, and uh, just a little bit, when we think about grace and this beautiful gift of grace that God has extended to us, I'm always curious on the way in which it was written. And one would think when we talk about the lavish riches of God, his grace, his mercy, his love to us, the bestowing of all the spiritual blessings that we have uh, through God, he's rich in mercy as is laid out. When you really stop to think about this here, here is the Apostle Paul writing this letter while he is in prison. So it's always interesting to me to say, what is it about the subject? What is it about that's being said that they speak with such joy, this enthusiasm, this curiosity, this wonderment, this amazement in spite of the circumstance? <coughs> and you know what I always find is because when you talk about the things of God, no matter your circumstance, it automatically takes you out of the realm of anything that you are in, Right? So he could be chained in prison in the dire circumstances, knowing that his execution is looming on the horizon. And he could say to these Christians in Ephesus, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us every spiritual blessing under heaven. Oh, also I'm in prison. The greatest thing about God's grace is it levels the playing field. It doesn't matter about money. It doesn't matter status, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter what you have, possessions, anything. Grace all starts from the same point, and that is God initiating it for us, uh, those who are unwilling or unworthy uh, and undeserving of it. So we all start from the same place. And so that's kind of a little contextual uh, context to where this letter is being written from and out of. So as we unpack it, kind of have this mind of Paul uh, as, as you're realizing, I said, wow, he's speaking from these circumstances, which really then illuminates to us in our current day and age how much more this means to us that even a Paul being the greatest persecutor of Christians, 
uh, murdering Christians against the faith of Christianity that was spreading becomes this incredible advocate to just say, oh, let me tell you about being alive in Christ and let me tell you what that looks like. Let my life be a model of that. C.H. Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon. I've got a lot of his stuff. Uh, but he has this quote. And this speaks so true to the passage that we're going to get into this morning. It says this, Let this be to you the mark of true gospel preaching, where Christ is everything and the creature is nothing, where salvation is all of grace through the work of the Holy Spirit, applying to the soul the precious blood of Jesus. Is that good? So now, in light of that, let's read Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1 together. As for you, Christian, saint, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, I mean, this is inclusive, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying, giving into, indulging ourselves in the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised, him up, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the kicker of all kicker verses, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. How much time lately have you spent thinking and pondering and contemplating the grace of God in your life? If we're honest, probably not a lot of time. We spend a lot of time to our families. We spend a lot of time to our jobs, to the tasks, to the distractions. And we spend little time in the Christian life, which is really, to me, a tactic of the enemy, that if he can get us to kind of neglect, to spend less time in the Word, to spend less time in how much God loves us, His mercy, His grace, then he gets us on this bandwagon of this internal perspective on, woe is me, I'm a bad person, how could God love me, does God really care about me, and on and on the questions go in our lives, right? Have you ever asked those questions before? It's probably because we have neglected to really contemplate and think and ponder and meditate upon the grace of God in our life and not only what he has done and what he has accomplished, but how that has lived out in our lives. Uh, I was with my dad. We were celebrating his uh, birthday this last week, and uh, he was going old school on me, and he was sharing me this uh, acrostic on, when, uh, on the term grace when he used to use it during his evangelism days, and it was God's riches at Christ's expense. Pretty cool. I still like that. Absolutely applicable to today. But how much time have you really been thinking about God's riches that he has given to you freely at Christ's expense? 
I spent so much of my time during my high school and college days just saying, um, man, it's really great that God paid the penalty for me, um, uh, but uh, I still kind of want to do my own thing over here. You know, God, thanks for giving me that ticket to heaven, uh, but, you know, I still got some things I want to accomplish and do before I really fully live for you. And totally wrong thinking, again, because I did not spend enough time in my Christian life coming back to what started everything when it comes to salvation, and that is God's grace. And grace can be said this way, God giving to us what we don't deserve. God giving to us what we don't deserve. So we need to spend more time thinking about the things that God has given to us, his love, his grace, his presence, his Holy Spirit, the word of God, his kindness, the sacrifice of his son on the cross in which we're going to celebrate and take a moment of communion in just a few moments. I mean, think about this, God who is outside of our time in our realm, looking onto this earth and seeing the problem of sin and seeing what sin does and seeing the discouragement in our lives and seeing the 49ers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, that must break his heart. I mean, all the things that are going on in this world, some of you are with me now, okay. Uh, You know, he's looking at this and he's saying, all right, we have a problem with sin. What are we going to do about it? I got a plan and let's watch what happens. But They cannot get there without us. Because what does verse 2 open up with? As for you, Christian, again, he's talking to the Christians. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's saying for you, as for you, Christians, you were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once lived. That we were slaves to the disobedience and we were enemies of God. Luke uh, 23, if you go back to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, then you know Jesus is on the cross and then there are two thieves that are next to him. In just a quick snapshot of the story, you have the one thief on one of his sides that says, hey, listen, all right, if you really are the son of the God, uh, son of God that can do all these things that your, your followers and, and all the people who have traveled with you say you can do, then, you know, just pull us off this cross right now. Let us go home, you know, David's translation, and let's just be done with this. Now, do you think Jesus could have done that? Sure, I absolutely do. Did he do it? No. And I'm really glad that he didn't. Again, that self-control of God is so important. But the thief next to him gave the greatest snapshot picture of who we were before our lives in Christ when we were transformed and changed. He said this. He said, you know what? Uh, we deserve this penalty. We deserve to hang on this cross for the deeds in which we have done. I mean, he acknowledged that what he did deserved the death on that cross for there. But these are his words. This man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Doesn't deserve to die. So you want to talk about grace. Here is grace. Us on the cross, acknowledging like that thief, saying, yeah, I deserve death. Jesus, no, he doesn't. But where do we find the Son of God? On the cross. Not in someone's house, having a party, celebrating, growing old. On a cross as a young man saying, I have come to do the will of the one who sent me. 
I have come to fulfill my mission, and that is to redeem lost humanity because they can't see how lost they are unless I do this. And what happens? He dies. He says, it is finished. A veil torn in two, access to the Father granted. I mean, you know that story we celebrated at, at Easter and, and Christmas, and we talk about these things. But this is where the grace of God entered the scene, entered the story, and really where our story as Christians began. It had to have someone pay a penalty that you or I could not owe. Because you know what? We were not just sick with sin. We were not just ill with sin. We were dead in sin. Not to get morbid, but I will never forget the first dead body that I ever saw. And if you've ever witnessed that experience, maybe uh, we were with uh, my um, uh, wife's um, grandma, and then my aunt, and then there were several experiences where you just see the life passing from someone, and you know that they have moved on, and you're looking at this body, you're saying, there is no soul left in here. That is how we were. This is what Paul is saying. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Your transgressions and your sins, you were dead in them. There was nothing that stimulated me to the things of God. There was nothing that made me responsive to the things of God. There was nothing good in me. I mean, from the fall all the way to the garden until now, there was nothing that happened. We had a sin problem, sin issue, had to be dealt with. So what happens? God in heaven, because of his great love, which which he loved us, said, I'm going to do something about the sin problem once and for all. You couldn't just do away with it. Because then what do you do with a lot of the Old Testament that was prophesying about what was to come, that someone was going to fulfill, someone was going to wipe the slate clean, someone was going to make us new, make us whole. There had to be a penalty, and there had to be paid. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Right? So you got to give a little context here. Romans 3 for the wages, uh, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. It's not for the wages of sin, it's just, uh, maybe you'll get it right. It's death. We didn't have a mind that could comprehend the things of God because he was not in us and there wasn't a way for us to know that until Christ paid it all. We were separated from God. I love how one Bible translation uh, sums up Ephesians 2 and it says this, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. The most amazing thing about a holy, just, righteous God is he embraces sinful, broken We're honest, some of us won't even go to the least of these, quote-unquote, some of these homeless people and even touch them with a 10-foot pole. Do you get the picture of this? And in our sin, in our brokenness, 
the wretched man that I am, when Scripture talks about our lives before Christ, it's, it's not a good picture and it's not a good life, which is why the grace of God just continues to just like an air balloon, just keep going up, up, elevating itself and how magnificent and glorious and wonderful God is because he initiated it under no obligation to do so. I have never at any point in my life and said, God, you know what? Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I deserve for you to die for me. How arrogant that would be. There's been so many times in my life where I've just fallen on my knees and said, God, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get why you love me. God, I keep messing up. Sin... Sin keeps getting me sometimes. I said and did the wrong thing again. God just keeps embracing me. The grace of God is this inexhaustible resource that is always being given to us and will continue to be given to us when we're eternity with him because we're going to be in eternity in a perfect state, whole, complete, lacking nothing, fully glorified as he is, the mind as he is. And for all of eternity, we're just going to be going, I did not deserve this. But God, your mercy and your grace that sin and death wasn't the end. So God deals with the problem of sin, that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, and we were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. And if we're not careful, sometimes those things can kind of creep back up in our life, right? Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that greed or envy or jealousy have just all been done away with, right? That would be great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that have been, wouldn't that have been great? You know, like never sin again, never mess up. Never want anything else, you know? Like, never mind, I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm just going to cut back. So we have the problem, and now we've got the response. Here in, here's God's response, and this is, this is what's amazing. Verse 4, but God. Again, sin never has the final story. Oh, death, where's your victory, right? Where's your sting? God, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and I mean that rich in mercy, uh, you will never, ever fully experience all that you can of God's mercy here on earth. Like you, just, you just can't. Because it is so much bigger than we are. Which is why I love the Christian faith as well, because there's always this where I can never know it all. You ever just gotten bored with a subject? I'm not saying I'm necessarily that smart, but there's been a couple of things that I do know, and I get extremely bored once I feel like, all right, I know that all. That's why no matter how many times I have read this, I just come back and I'm like, how did I miss that before? Or there may be a season of difficulty that I'm going in, and I'm just like, what? Exactly, I, I do just that, you know? I remember in a season, uh, I didn't share this last hour, but this is bonus material. Um, <laughs> perks of having two services, you can edit the first one and redo it all the second hour. Um, 
But I remember in a season, uh, my wife and I, as you get to know us, there was a season for uh, about five years where we were trying to have kids. Uh, and we had tried a little bit longer than that, but it just it never worked. And we went and we got testing and the doctors, we went to multiple doctors and said, you'll never have kids. It's impossible. It's not going to work out. Uh, and so I just remember coming to that season uh, and just thinking, okay, God has placed it on our hearts to have kids. Uh, it's not working. Uh, and through that difficult season, just experiencing God's grace, just saying, Dave, I'm with you. Jacqueline, I'm with you. Would you guys just trust me? If I can pave the way for you to come into a saving faith relationship with me, then don't you believe that I can carry you through the hardship, the struggle, the uncertainty, the issues now? And the faith journey of grace sometimes just takes years. Sometimes experience that aha moment. The culmination of all these years of just struggle and anxiety and fear and just casting that to him and just saying, okay, your scripture reminds me to cast my cares on you for you care for me. Okay, that in itself is God's grace. He cares for you. He cares about what you're going through. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to see you hurt, doesn't want to see you tripped by sin, doesn't want to see you fall downcast. I mean, just look at the Psalms of David and his crying out to God, pouring out to God. The fact that God even hears us again is God's grace in our lives. He could have just tuned us out and said, that is just white noise. He says, that is beautiful. I want to hear more of that. And crying out to God in those moments and just saying, God, either take the desire away or you're going to have to do something that I can't even think or imagine that you're going to do. And you're seeing two of my little kids running around here and we've got a third one here. In a couple of months, if God wants to do something, God's going to do it. Tired as I am, God's going to do it. God's response initiated in his own will to love you too much. We're going to do something about it. David Paul Tripp, or Paul David Tripp, excuse me, uh, one of the devotionals that I, I read constantly in New Morning Mercies, he says this. It says, the more you understand the depth of your unrighteousness, the more you will appreciate the magnitude of God's gift of grace. So unable as we are, we are not without hope. We can stand before a holy God, broken, weak, and failing, and be completely unafraid because we stand before him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that good? I spent so many years standing in the presence of God with my head down, thinking like God's just going to stomp on me. You know, and obviously as I've grown and hopefully matured, ask my wife, um, but hopefully as I've matured, I've changed this understanding that God just doesn't want to squish me, right? God wants to build me up. You know what he uses to build me up? His grace. God embraced us. God forgave us. He lavishes us. I mean, just go, uh, go home today and read the first chapter in Ephesians. And 
and just read it and realize all the things that God has given available to you out of the heavenly realms, the blessings, the joy. I'm not talking just materialism, all these things. I'm saying that we can have the mind of Christ, the character, godly attributes. He has made these available to us by his grace that we can use for the benefit of other people. You realize that your life is to be a blessing to other people. Did Jesus Christ come to serve himself or to serve other people? And aren't we to be imitators of Jesus Christ? Then we therefore ought to say, God, this grace in which you have given to me, which you embrace me with, which you lavish upon me, which you love me with, which you dealt with the problem of sin, and you have given me a new life responsive to the things that are righteous and holy and good, I want to use that to bless other people. What means do you have available to you? And we often talk about those in the church world and in, 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 the, in the T's, right? The time, talent, treasure, right? What means do you have available to you to give someone the time to listen to them, listen to their story, to say, I want to tell you about Jesus. You're feeling broken right now? Let me tell you who can heal you. You're feeling lost? Let me tell you who can show you the way. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and just extend my words on into eternity. God forgives freely and fully, but he forgives freely and fully to those who accept by faith and trust the free gift that he offers. What does grace look like? It's knowing the victory is yours through Jesus Christ. That's grace. Knowing the victory isn't through me. I'm not righteous. No one is righteous. No, not one, as scripture reminds us. I'm not righteous. I could not merit anything on my own free will to earn my salvation. God freely gave it to me. So my victory over sin and death is through Christ. Grace is understanding that God was not obligated to do anything, but he chose to do something final. Final about the problem of sin. Grace is knowing that Jesus knows your sin, but offers forgiveness as we repent. Grace is knowing that a holy God has allowed his son to pay sin's ransom for me and for you. Grace is you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you are raised up with him, as our text reminds us. Grace is you once walked according to the course of this world, but now having a new mind, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Grace is that you used to live according to the wicked ways of this world, slaves under the ownership of the enemy, but now you live for God, purchased by his blood, by his blood, by his body, for you through Christ. All this from the Father, through the Son, extended to us as we accept the free gift. As it says in Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Everyone take a deep breath. <sighs> Maybe that was just for me. Embracing grace a little bit more this morning? I sure hope so. My prayer is that we all leave here this morning with this attitude that the Apostle Paul had in chapter 1, verse 3. 
that this so quickly rolls off of our tongues as conversations with people. That praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, not in ourselves, but in Christ. We just spent this whole last month talking about life in Christ and what's new in our new, uh, our new identity and uh, who owns us and who lives in us and through us. And now we expound on that with talking about these things that we're going to spend these next few weeks on as Pastor Steve continues next week. So we dealt with the problem. C.H. Spurgeon says this, Our Lord Jesus is ever giving and does not for a solitary instant withdraw his hand. I love this. The rain of his grace is always dropping. And the river of his bounty is ever flowing. And the wellspring of his love is constantly overflowing. As the king can never die, so his grace can never fail. Ever fail. That's why eternity to me is one of the greatest extensions of God's grace to me. Yes, obviously uh, it came by his death, burial, and resurrection, but the fact that I can live live, uh, eternally with him forever in his presence always and continually be reminded of the grace of God which has given me the ability to be here will always floor I used to tell the kids when I was in uh, a high school pastor, I said, guys, some of you are so worried about heaven because you think of heaven in terms of earth, right? That you love that video game when it first came out, but eventually you get bored to tears by that video game, which you spent 80 bucks on, mind you. Uh, I could think of so many other things. But anyways, you know, that, that eventually you're just going to get bored and you're not going to want anything to do with it. Don't view heaven like you view that game because if heaven gets boring, heaven is no longer heaven. It will never ever get dull. It will never, ever get boring. It will never, ever become something where you're like, is there another door out of this place? I'd like to see if there's anything else. God is God. If, um, I hope this isn't true of anyone in here, but even if you don't like worship, you don't like singing, right? Maybe you're afraid, well, I don't, you know, I don't have the, the singer's voice, right? Or, or, you know, I'm afraid someone's gonna, gonna hear me and and, um, you know, every worship song these days uh, sung by any male vocalist, um, I hit puberty every time I sing it because my voice just cracks over and over, right? So you don't have to be afraid of that when you get to heaven is my point. Uh, because here's what's going to happen. We're going to worship and we're going to have perfect pitch. We get to heaven, we're going to worship and we're going to worship with everything that we have that we didn't even know that we had because we couldn't have it while we were here, but we will have it there. Years back, uh, the message had just finished, and there was this woman, and it was a sanctuary similar to this. There was a woman in the back, and she was just weeping, like uncontrollable weeping. And it's one of those things as a pastor, you're kind of like, do I say something? Do I not? Do I, <laughs> do I let him just kind of hang there for a minute? But I just felt God saying, Dave, go talk to her. Just go talk to her. Don't wait for anyone else. Don't send any of the other team to go talk. Go talk to her. And I just remember walking up to her and I said the most pastor thing I could think of. Are you okay? Real, real, real spiritual, right? Um, I said, are you okay? She said, do you know what? I'm now just, oh, I get goosebumps even when I think about it now. She said, I am now. 
And it kind of caught me off guard because I didn't expect that. I, you know, I was thinking like, no, not everything, everything's terrible. Like my life is falling apart because typically what you get, you know. I was just like, no, everything is, everything is fine now. And just this like tears of joy and weeping. And so we went and we talked. And, and, and here was her response to me. She just said, you know what? I've never fully understood today or understood till now God's grace. I have just felt like a child who has always done wrong in the sight of a father. I finally understood that in spite of my sin and my flaws, Jesus loved me and he died for me. And I'm thinking, it seems so basic, like that's Christianity 101, right? (laughs) Jesus went to the cross, he died, paid the penalty for my sin, I accept him, I have new life. But that's the joy of God's grace. When you need it, you never forget it. It radically shifts the direction in the course of someone else's life. I have seen God's grace meet people and change them in ways I could have never even pictured for their life. Because when God gets a hold of you, oh, doesn't he get a hold of you? And oh, will he get a hold of you? See, Romans 12, 2, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith from first to last, from beginning to end. It's all about him and all about his doing. We get to get in on that story and in on that ride. And it's a beautiful thing. So what's our response to all of this in Romans 5? And I want you to read this with me. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace in the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, the death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, all people, again, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Because Pastor Steve uh, said no message can be complete without a C.S. Lewis quote, Last week, I've added one in this week. Um, says this, but it, it fits perfectly. I didn't have to go fishing too long for it. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. How do you live a life of holiness that pleases God? Because we see our new lives in Christ through the lens of God's filter, the word of God, and the spirit of God within us that we look at the abundance of God's grace in us, that he's equipped us for life and godliness through Christ Jesus, through the word of God, through the spirit of God, and we say, okay, he really has set me up for a life that can be successful in his eyes. Yes, I might trip up occasionally and I will fall and I will ask forgiveness for my sins, but God loves me enough that when he called me and he saved me, he gave me what I need to live a life that fully pleases him.
college pastor, we used to do evangelism uh, on San Diego State. I don't know how many of you guys spend time on San Diego State. Um, a lot of great people on San Diego State. I'm not saying anything bad about the school, okay? Um, but I'm saying, you know, it's got a certain reputation. I knew it when I was in high school and college. Um, and I remember that we just felt that God wanted us to go and evangelize next to the beer garden on San Diego State, uh, you know, because those people are really open to conversation. It's perfect. Um, but I remember we would just go and we would talk to people and share the gospel. I remember this guy, James, uh, he was walking and, you know, there's like three or four of us and we've all got our Bibles, you know, and you could tell he's looking at us like, oh man, where, where can I go? How do I get around these people? You know, so we're walking and uh, he, he met us and super nice guy and he just said, hey, can we just talk to you for a few moments? And so what are you studying here at school? And I think he's like, oh, I thought you were going to talk about Jesus. I'm like, well, that's coming next. But what do you do uh, here in school? And so we talked to him for a little bit and doing something really cool in his studies. Who knows where he is today, but does anyone ever talk to you about Jesus? He said, oh, you know, I, I know who Jesus is, you know. I said, no, has really anyone ever really shared with you who Jesus is and what he's done? And over the course of it, and, you know, uh, if you've ever done any kind of evangelism course or Billy Graham or any track, there's really these two um, general rules that you use to, to measure, you know, if someone has truly accepted Jesus. And is, you know, if you died today, you believe you go to heaven or hell? And then the second follow-up question would be, uh, if yes, if you believe you go to heaven and you're standing before God, what would you say for him to let you in? And it was really one of these textbook cases where it was, um, yeah, I believe I'm going to heaven. I, you know, I know who Jesus is. Um, and I'm like, well, where did you receive Christ? He's like, oh, no, I just, I mean, I just know who he is through, you know, just kind of seeing it around. And oh, okay. Well, what would you say to, to Jesus to say, you know, um, I deserve to be entered in? He's like, well, you know, I think there's been enough things that I've done in my life that probably uh, on the scale would weigh me good, uh, which would then be okay for him to say, you know, let me in, you know. And part of you as a pastor, you're just like, yes, dude, you just opened up the door for me to get in. This is perfect. You set me up. It's like tennis. Yeah, I'm going to hit it. Um, I don't play tennis. I'm assuming that's what you do. Um, but I just remember having this conversation because, again, this is where a lot of our culture and a lot of things that maybe are even infiltrating the church today that we just believe that, you know what, uh, we limit God's grace because we think that there is something in us that responds to the call of grace. And I remember talking to him and I was saying, okay, well, if, if you feel like there's been enough things in your life that would tip the scale for God to let you in, then really what God is doing is he's paying you a wage, which means he's not really extending you grace. He's really paying you for the works that you have done, which should then get you into heaven. But the problem is, is I don't know anywhere in scripture that says that there's an entrance fee into heaven. Like, is it a hundred bucks? Is it a million bucks? If that's the case, I'm doomed to hell. Is it five good things? And you just, you know, and, and you, you know, again, you don't always don't want to be a discouragement, but that's the reality about the faith is we're not coming from this picture of I'm a really good person, God let me in. It's all man was sinful, wretched, depraved, and God's saying, listen, I'm going to solve that problem for you right now. In fact, here's the, here's, the, here's the greatest gift, but sometimes in our culture, when we get a really good gift, we feel like we have to do something back. Like, I don't, have you ever gotten a really nice gift and you don't know what to do about it? I've never had that problem, but if you've, it's easy, you know, but if you've ever gotten a really good gift and you're just like, I'm honored, I don't, I, what do I do with this? How much more magnificent is the grace of God in your life that the question becomes, what are you not willing to do to show God a life that is truly 
gracious and, and, and full of gratitude and thanksgiving and all things give thanks and a life of prayer and a life of devotion and a life of obedience and a life of willing to serve him, a, will, a life that is willing to sacrifice some of the comforts and the pleasures to do the things that God is calling you to do, a life that says, you know what, uh, God, how do you want to use me to serve this church? Uh, God, what do you want to use me in my job, in my home to reach people for Jesus Christ? What do I need to give up? What do I need to do? Because your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in my weakness, God. I want to spend my life giving everything I can back to you because it will never compare to everything that you have given to me through your son, Jesus Christ. We sang the song Amazing Grace. Sweet, or no, maybe we're going to sing that. We did sing it last hour. We're going to sing it again. But I love the words because it says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And you know the words, right? I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I know how you see the goodness and graciousness of God is because he has allowed you to do so by the gift that he has given you wrapped up in the form of grace. God didn't owe us anything. but he willingly gave us everything. Being out of our life is where, um, in verse 7, it says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. And college had a guy uh, that used to uh, say to us that you are trophies of God's grace. I'll never forget it. You're a trophy of God's grace. I used to think, that's kind of weird, right? Almost like they've got an Oscar and, you know, Jesus is there like, hey, look at, you know, look at Dave right here. Pretty cool. I got him. You know, I'm like, hey, you know. Uh, and then he brought me to this passage. He said that he would show you, that God wants to show you off. He wants to display redeemed humanity out of the kindness of Christ Jesus. And what was that kindness? That was the act of salvation, that was his going to the cross, dying and rising again for us. That in heaven, we are going to be looking around with all those who have placed their faith, trust, and obedience in Jesus Christ, and we are all trophies of God's grace, and we're going to celebrate for all eternity together. That's why it is my mission in life to help by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God to get as many people as I can to think about the things of God and enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ because I want them to be standing next to me when I'm looking at Jesus Christ and going, it was worth it. The hardship the distractions, the discouragement was nothing compared to what I'm experiencing now in the presence of Jesus Christ. God's given you some things to do. I mean, he sets it up that we're a workmanship uh, created by God for good works, that we are literally his masterpiece. We are being created from the moment of our salvation till the day that we die. He is forming and shaping and fashioning this beautiful masterpiece called you into doing good things for the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God, to reach people for Jesus Christ, to do things that bless other people, that reach other people, that cross race and boundaries in lines of all things to say that the glory of God would be lifted high by us that God is choosing to use us. 
So let's get to work. Doing the things that God would say, yep, that is a holy and that is a good work. I have set you apart so that you could reach this person, do this, whether you're a teacher, you're in business, you're in development, you're in whatever you are, what has God set you up for and who is under you, who is around you, that he is saying, be a blessing, be kind, be patient, be gentle, be loving, be merciful, be gracious, you know, stop avoiding the extra grace required people, right? And start embracing those people and saying, okay, God loved me and he knows me. Who do I need to love and who do I need to embrace you with me? I'm going to find a different way to package this versus just the way that you've already heard it before because I know it's such a familiar passage. But what's the work before you that God wants to use you in? And so we come to communion. We come to the table, right? And we say that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ, a cracker which represents his body, which was given for us, hung on the cross. He literally took on flesh. John chapter one, he took on flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. And then we're reminded through uh, the juice here that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. There was uh, nothing that we could do to earn this, to buy this, to purchase this, to, to, to have any kind of cleansing apart from the body and blood of Jesus. And so, Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, and, and he's sitting with his disciples, and he's breaking the bread, and he's passing his cup, and he's saying, do this often in remembrance of me. And I think one of the reasons why it was to be done often is because we can so often forget. I can remember sometimes the problems or the something someone said to me 10 years ago quicker than sometimes I go back to reflect about what was done for me and purchased for me. But we need to have a mind fixed on Christ. And so we come and we do this every month in church, which I absolutely love, to be reminded that he gave all. And now let's give all back to him. Lord, we come to your table and we take communion. We take the bread and we take the cup. And Father, we give you the glory for this. And we ask that you would be honored and pleased as we eat and drink together, symbolizing what you have done for us to purchase our salvation, that, Father, we have grace. Be pleased with the time this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So please forgive me, I did the one unpardonable thing that uh, uh, as a pastor you never do, you never go long when speaking. So forgive me for going a little bit over my time today, and as consolation, may your team in the Super Bowl win. Um, but uh, isn't it good when you're sitting outside, I think, um, you know, in light of all that God's done, what if we said, you know, uh, I, will, I will live for all that you've done for me. 
right? Just simply live for all that he's done for us, a life that pleases him and honors him. Let's do that, huh? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you, both now and forevermore and always and always. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're dismissed. Enjoy the game.